prostitution, the world's oldest profession. Illegal in most places in the world, and, like all things related to sex, a taboo subject we rarely discuss. But, in the rural counties of Nevada, where the West is still wild, pay for play is legal. My name is Jim, and for the last 20 years I've been a customer of the legal brothel system in Nevada. From its lavish high-end resort properties, to its small shacks in the middle of nowhere, from its connections to other arms of the sex industry, to the secrets it keeps from the public. I've seen it all, done most of it, and now I'm going to share it all with you. Join my friend Larry and I as we take you Behind the Red Light. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Behind the Red Light, your favorite... Um cleanest sex show how it's the cleanest sex show on the internet I, we've been doing this for how many weeks now and i still can't get that i i don't know you're well you're you're just a button pusher you're right, right? i am the, the 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 resident button pusher hi i'm larry that's jim he's our resident expert yeah sure we'll go with that i don't like calling you a pervert because you're not well, I, i'm just a pervert in residence that's no, all. no no you're not no because no? oh. that means like you 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 put underwear on your head and clap your hands like a seal well no i don't do that no i'm not into it no that's a little that's a little weird even for me yeah you, you so you know we don't want people to think that you like wear a trench coat and, and... oh no yeah no i don't do that yeah no, yeah no. so so we're trying to avoid all that we're right trying to... <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to bring up your public image a little bit you know what though i did receive a question on social media okay now i have to i have to keep the name private hang on before we do that let's go over the p's and q's so it clear well this is why i was bringing the question because the question is about the p's and q's believe it or not really so the question was why we do what we're about to do which is this do the p's and q's because we do not promote no we are not we are not uh working for absolutely not. we're not here to encourage you to do not at all we don't do any of the sort we don't work for the brothels we don't advertise for them we don't do anything of the sort we are here simply for historical purposes to tell some stories and to entertain you absolutely and the, and you can reference the show in a term paper if you want if necessary to. absolutely so the reason the question came up why do we have the disclaimer oh that's a very good question and 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 so this is this is why we have the disclaimer. we have it for several reasons number one um it is actually illegal to discuss pricing outside of the brothels no and so as a result if we don't clarify and make sure that that everyone is aware that we don't work there Mm -hmm. and that we we could very well be exposing ourselves legally if i would ever mention what i paid or what somebody paid or prices or whatever Mm -hmm. so it's important that we delineate that we do not work there we do not work for we're not hired by we have nothing to do with the brothel. we are simply here to discuss what it is like there and act as a historical uh reference yes. so so therefore anything we say here is not subject to that we are not it's not subject to the pandering laws no. because we are not doing so in any way shape form or fashion yeah and the other <clears throat> reason we came up with the disclaimer is just to let you know that we are grown adults we understand uh-huh. what we are talking about but we want to be able to talk about it in a a space and in, in a way where we're not tied down to anything. Absolutely, absolutely. And so so basically, we're we're keeping the lawyers happy, and and uh, making sure that everyone knows what we're on the up and up here, and we're not here to try and just uh, 
you know, suggest that you should go out there and try this because we're not a an advertising thing or anything of the sort. Oh, not only that, and especially since it's anchored by somebody else who has no interest to go visit these places at all. No, no, not at all. I, yeah, no, you're not. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, it, we, we, we want to have the, the, the feel of the show, and we will get to the main topic here shortly, but seeing as how this, this came up on our, uh, on our radar and our desk, is we want it to flow like you're sitting at a bar with somebody. Yeah. And you have questions to ask the person, oh, oh, you did that? Well, let's have a bar conversation. Well, and that's really how conversations would go for me when people would find out that, you know, that I did this, is that people would start to ask questions and were very, very curious. So that is the point of the podcast. Admit it. You know, you're curious. That's why you're here. Yeah. And I'm a little bit more blunt than everybody else. I'm like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's talk about that. Well, there's that. Let's expose ourselves to the nation and see what happens. Who, baby? Yeah, why not? So, you know, when we left off at our last show, we were in the, we were in the start of our Chicken Ranch Omnibus. Yes. Before you get started on our Omnibus, I do want to clarify to the audience, this is episode 21, because when you're 21, you get to go to these wonderful establishments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, I believe we're calling it segment B. Yes. Uh, because this is, uh, is going to be a four-part series where we felt... You know, we talked about what happens in the uh, in the brothels. We talked about the type of people you meet from the brothels. But wouldn't you like to know where a brothel came from? A little bit of history, if you will. And we were talking last show about the early years of the chicken ranch in LaGrange, Texas. Yes. Well, this episode, we're going to get into the latter part and finally the closure of the chicken ranch as it began in LaGrange, Texas. And it, this whole process starts in about 1946. As uh, Jim Flournoy, or Flournoy, excuse me, I mispronounced it, would take over as sheriff in LaGrange. Okay. Uh, before we go any further, you, you, you need to know we discussed from uh, the Civil War yeah. to World War One, mm-hmm. And now we're at the uh, – World War Two just ended. Yes, they we're at, you know, we're at the end of the everything. Second World War. Yeah. So uh, this is this at this point. And that sheriff has been there for a while. Well, the previous That's sheriff. Years. Yeah, I was gonna say the previous sheriff was there a long time. Well, again, as we discussed in the last episode, you know he uh, <laughs> he had such a great closure rate. Yes. On his crimes, thanks to the the information provided by the working girls, and that system would continue with this sheriff. Uh, he actually received awards in retirement. <laughs> This year, the this sheriff swear to God, to the guy about. I'm just about to talk about here received plenty of awards in retirement as a result of the closure rate that he had. You know, there was never like a, 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 a bank robbery that went unconvicted. There was never an anything that went unconvicted in this county because he had the working girls feeding him information and he made the captures and. And they were obviously the convictions as a result of that. Okay. So this guy got got I don't know how many awards, you know, for being a great law enforcement officer, largely on the basis of the fact that he turned a blind eye to the crime of prostitution. Okay. So this is what I'm seeing right now. The first sheriff is sitting there. The second sheriff comes in, new young guy, doesn't really know. He's like, all right, come here. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. All right. You see that house over there? Don't bother any of the girls in that house because they're going to give you more information than you ever cared to know. You got or it. Need and it's going to make your career. You got it. And if you don't listen to what I'm saying, you're not going to have a job. You're right. Now, now there are some things though that start to take effect here under this new sheriff, and this is where um, this is where I started to say it in the last show where um, you know you have 
a certain way that things are done in Nevada now. Would you say that this was a tectonic shift? I would say that what it was, was it was, it provided a blueprint. Okay. It provided a blueprint by which Nevada was going to do this later on. And I'm about to get into how that, what I mean by that. Um, so uh, one of the first things that was happened uh, was that the new sheriff had a direct telephone line installed at the chicken ranch to him. That's smart. <laughs> so that now he could be filled in all the all the the gossip and the dirt and everything almost immediately. And this begins a modernization, if you will, of how this process is going to function. Um, about the same time, a woman named Edna Milton comes in. Now, Edna is going to eventually buy the brothel and take over okay. from Miss Jessie. Miss Jessie, who's she's getting older now. She's got a lot of arthritis. She's got some problems. So Edna starts to. She wants to retire in style. Absolutely. So as the as we turn into the fifties, Edna slowly starts taking over more and more responsibility at the house. Um, and when uh, when Miss Jessie dies in the in nineteen sixty one, Milton then purchases the property and becomes the owner. She actually renames it at that time, believe it or not, to Edna's fashionable ranch boarding house. Okay. Uh, although, of course, most people still call it the chicken ranch. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she did, one of the things that did happen is that a lot of the old rules that Miss Jessie had had, they stayed on. So the girls were, were prohibited from drinking. They were prohibited from getting tattoos. Okay. They were not allowed to socialize with the residents of LaGrange. So that this way the residents weren't saying, hey, we've got these hookers around and we don't like this, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, all these things that were designed to make sure that, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And that kind keep of the thing. the girls safe. Absolutely. Because, I mean, think about it. You're walking down the street in LaGrange and like, oh, there's that there's that prostitute that works over there. You got it. Thing you know, the girl's getting hit with either vegetables or rocks. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that nobody needed. No. So, um, And then there was also now the addition of before beginning their employment, the girls had to be fingerprinted and photographed by the sheriff. They underwent background checks. After beginning work, they were required to see the doctor in town weekly for a checkup. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? And this was to, uh, uh, and then also in order to get support from the townspeople, uh, supplies would be bought from the local stores on a rotating basis uh, by the house to make sure that they, so they were good customers oh. of all the business owners in town. And uh, Edna also started donating to all sorts of, uh, local causes, and she actually would end up becoming uh, Lagrange's largest philanthropist. Huh. So, in the process of doing all these things, everything that I've mentioned here, you've heard me mention in one degree or another, as we've talked about the legal houses in Nevada, yeah. including what we call the sheriff's card, the girls having to get that background check, and so on and so forth, the girls being checked weekly by a doctor. Uh, Making sure they're not given the gift that keeps on giving. Yes, the philanthropy by the houses and everything. Making sure that the you know that the uh, the, the counties that they're in have, have the things that they need. All of these things would continue on into the legal realm in Nevada, and I think it's really important to point point this out because if the chicken ranch doesn't do this mm -hmm. at this stage of the game, I'm not sure that it ever would have been adopted in quite the way that it was in Nevada. 
Well, it is. It, it, you, what you illustrated was a, a exactly what you called it. It was a blueprint. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's like if we're going to work, we need to work like this. We need to make sure that the girls that we hire on are of the right set of mind or, or right state of mind. Yep. They are uh, a, not professional. Yeah, in a way, this it is very, very professional to make sure that your fingerprints are taken, to, to have a background check done, to make sure that you're clear of any uh, diseases. And, as you said, um, uh, taking this taboo subject and making it a benefit to the community. And I think it's really important to note here that, that you know, condoms would not have been overly used at this time no not at all even in the nevada brothels condoms wouldn't be used until 1983 they weren't mandated until then well and I, that was largely in res, as a result of the aids virus and if you look at the history of a condom it it, it, it was the equivalent back then they were reusable now <laughs> well there was that yeah and it it, it it looked like a balloon yeah so well and, and for all intents and purposes that's really what they are in a lot of ways well, it's they're, the, ma- they're manufactured in a very similar fashion. It's the whole reusable thing that kind of it's like it is disgusting. Do, yeah. yeah. How do you clean it so well that you get all the germs off? Of well, it? I and, don't know that you would have in those years. And then not compromise the integrity of the plastic. Uh, certainly you would have in those no, years. I yeah. mean, I, I would imagine lye soap would have been the last thing you wanted to put on a rubber. Yet that probably would have been what was available largely in the early days of condoms. So, yeah, I <laughs> man, things have things have certainly changed. For the better, absolutely. Um, so that was that's where we're at, and and throughout the fifties, the chicken ranch uh, employed about sixteen girls on a weekly basis. Uh, but that brick of health and safety is really key to moving forward. It is. It is very much so, and mainly because you know again the place was extremely popular. Uh, at this point, on the weekends, there were a lot of people that claimed you could see a line of men. That were you know students, soldiers from the nearby military bases that would line up at the door. That I mean, these girls were working, you know, just you know turning tricks, if you will. Yeah. One right after the other, um, and apparently it actually became a tradition at Texas A and M at this time to send freshmen to the chicken ranch for initiation. Okay. I who knows why, but. That was what kind uh, of fraternity were they in? I don't know, but it, the the story goes that the chicken ranch was preferred because many of the girls were allegedly University of Texas students. Of course, yeah, that's that's the equivalent of getting a smart lap dance. Yeah, so at this point in time, just to set some numbers here, each prostitute would have made between five and twenty, or would have seen somewhere between five and twenty customers per day. Can you imagine? No. In the 1950s, they charged $15 uh, dollars per 15 minutes. Now, to put that in perspective, that'd be 10 times that amount in today's money. Yeah. So, yeah, about 150 bucks. Um, the employees were required to give 75% of their earnings to the, to the madam. 75%. And here's why. She paid for all of their living and medical expenses. That's a fair deal. Yeah, uh, so she fed them. She, you know, there was laundry. All, everything was done for them. Uh, the story goes that I mean, she had everything you could imagine on standby if you were or employed at the house. The girls had everything, every need met. 
whether it was they need to see a dentist, there was somebody there, and you see a doctor, somebody's it's paid for. This it was sounds, completely paid for. This sounds oddly familiar to the military. And, yeah, and, and I'm gonna, in a lot uh, of in a lot of ways, and, yes. And, and it's something that I know about um, personally. So uh, to explain where I'm coming from, uh, the military isn't the greatest paid. Uh, no, they're, no, no, they're, no, no, they're no, not, no. It's uh, the fringe benefits. The military is not paid very well at all. But while you're in the military, you have access to free housing, uh, you have access to free medical care, and you have access to food. If you if that is something that you need going on down the line, and the military will take care of you, and give you other uh, other perks at the tail end. Yeah. But the pay was never really good. But they felt that these other accoutrements. Will supplement the pay. Yeah, without a doubt, and it was the same way in yeah. this situation for sure. Um, you know, at its peak in the '60s, the ranch was you know bringing in, uh, or I should I should say, was making a profit of a half a million dollars a year. Now, by today's money, that's four point three million. In today's money, yeah. what's considered wealthy? In today's money, what's considered wealthy is pulling in two hundred over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Right, and they're clearing that back then. Somebody's sore. Yeah, yeah, and the girls, you know, you figure what what they're bringing in is probably anywhere between twenty five hundred and three thousand in today's money a week, is what they're making. Now, so is that the he, 75% or is that... No, that's the 25% that they're making. Oh, oh, if that's you, their if you, cut. Yeah, if you figure their cut. So when you consider that money and you start to add that up, I mean, that's... that's I guess that comes right about close to six figures, if not a little bit over it, a year that these girls are potentially making in the 1960s. You name another profession in the 60s where a woman made that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. Actress, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, and that would be about the only one I could think of. Because, um, you know, let's see, 1960s, isn't there aren't a whole lot of jobs for women. I mean, uh, NASA might be hiring one or two, you know, astrophysicists or somebody who's really, really good with math, but mm-hmm. you don't hear about them until, like, now, the modern well, age. Well, yeah, but they were hired in the 60s, so it would have been – that's an equivalent at about that time period. Yeah. So, yes, we could count them. But, again, you know, how many versus how many? Right. You know, you're talking, what, we were two, maybe three of them, I think there were yeah. uh, in that time period versus, you know, how many girl, how many working girls were coming through the brothel at that time. No, this is the, the this is our guesstimate. Or, or, our guesstimate. We're not professionals sure. at trying to figure out how many astrophysicists were women in the <laughs> 1960s. <laughs> well, no. No, certainly not. But you can guarantee the number was low because if you look – and, again, it's something that you brought up. If you look at it, there are not very many positions for women – to make that kind of money, yeah. there are positions for women: um, school teacher, waitress, secretary. Uh, they're, I guess, they could be considered in today's terms derogatory jobs. Yeah, because uh, most women, uh, most women, especially in the '60s, that still the nuclear household, where the man goes to work, the woman stays home and raises the kids and cleans the house. Right. So. Yeah, this is a step for feminism. Yeah, so to speak. Yeah. Uh and, you know, it's actually very odd in modern feminism when I hear women, you know, argue against sex workers. You know, they call themselves a feminist, but they say sex workers are garbage and you think to yourself, um no, they're card-carrying feminists. Yeah. 
and I don't understand why you're, you're persecuting them. Yes, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, well, although we don't want to get in that debate on this well, particular show. Yeah, but. You also have to remember that my body, my choice is uh, negotiable. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so this is how the house is going, and it's doing very, very well. And we round into the 70s. When do we flip into, because uh, we, we talked about this, we talked about this, we talked about this. When, on paper, by law, is this now a legal system? Uh, well, not through anything of in, in Texas. No, no, not through Texas. Yeah, this, we are still we are still completely illegal through its closure in Texas. Okay. So this is where we're rounding into the seventies. Um, apparently, the Texas Department of Public Safety decides to place surveillance on the chicken ranch um, for several days in 1972. Okay. At the time, they document 484 people entering the brothel. 484 people. In, over the course of two days. Over the course, okay. 484 people. Hang on. Let me get my, uh, let me get my, my paper, or actually my calculator. It would probably work a lot better than us. Okay. So, you said 484. Yes. 484. Times what do you let's say they all go for just the 15 minutes, which is fifteen dollars for that 15 time. bucks. So, in a day, that's two days in, in a two days' time, they made seven thousand uh two hundred and sixty bucks, right? And that's assuming, of course, that no one went for extra time, right? Yeah, that's a lot that's of money. That's base pay, yeah, that's a in lot the of money. 70s, yeah, that's a lot of money. A lot of money that's an annual salary for a lot of people in the 70s, yes, it is. Let's just let's just be honest. Um. But at this point, there is there's definitely outside of the local law enforcement, you know, and by local I mean the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Other people are saying, "Okay, look, you know, this is we can't have this." The feds are are getting notified about. Yeah, this, this is this is not good. We're not going to have this. The ranch ends up being closed for a couple of days, um, or for a short. Actually, it's longer than that. I'm sorry. It's closed for a short time. Reopens a few months later. And at this point, television gets involved. Ooh. Uh, a television reporter named Mar- Marvin Zindler begins an investigation into the chicken ranch. Now things are going public. Now, we all know that when things go public regarding sex, this is when it's a problem. And now, you know, law enforcement is sort of, their hand gets forced, you know. Um, he Now, th- he would go down as the guy blamed for ruining the chicken ranch. Zindler would. Zindler. Well, but he <laughs> he was looking for a story, yeah. and he found one, and he he claimed for years that he began it, the investigation because of an anonymous tip. But a lot of people said that that wasn't the case. A lot of people said that he was used as a pawn by lawmakers, by state lawmakers, in order to get public support at closing the place. Well, you you and I both know the court of public opinion is the worst kind of court to, yeah. to be guilty or innocent. Yeah, because, but, but in resu- as a result of Zindler's report, the governor at that time closed, closed the brothel ended up getting opened back up again. After, <laughs> because, you know, again, they've got help. You know, they've yeah. got help places. Um, and Zindler went on at that point, I guess, to shed light on the operation. And, of course, this is what led to the place being permanently closed. He said, and I will quote this in a 2005 interview, now 25 years ago, I told a little fib when I said I got into the act because of an anonymous tip. 
The tip was actually a phone call from the office of the Texas Attorney General, John Hill. Hill asked the chief of his organized crime division, Tim James, to get me involved in closing the chicken ranch. Hmm. So the media was absolutely 100% implicit, complicit, excuse me, in getting the place closed. This was an absolute move to get them closed. So it was definitely a partisan issue. It, it was, and and by the sounds of it, based on the idea that there may ha- that they may have considered it organized crime, much to what you were questioning earlier, right? Um, and this is, you know, ultimately what ends up uh, when this ends up happening. Uh, uh, so the there was a district attorney involved who was asked to close the chicken ranch. Um. And all of this goes down, and sooner or later, you know, to cut the story short, because you know we're just going a lot of back and forth here, but ultimately the place is in fact closed down. Um, the sheriff, uh, who had been at that point overseeing Lagrange for twenty-seven years, uh, denied that the chicken ranch was involved in organized crime and denied that he had been bribed to keep the place open. Which, based on stories, we he was one hundred percent truthful in that statement. Yeah, and and just as we discussed here, he was using the chicken ranch to keep people safe. Absolutely, and, and the chicken ranch was actually providing a community service, not through what they normally did, but through donations in case they needed, you know, roads, trucks, street lights. Yeah. What's odd, for school? What's odd is the investigation ultimately turns up nothing. There's nothing to do with organized crime. There's nothing to do with anything. And yet, they still order it to be permanently closed. Hmm. And that marked the end. Um, In Texas. Yeah. So, on August 1st, 1973, uh, the, the sheriff called the madam and told her she was no longer allowed to operate. There was a handmade sign that was posted on the building that blamed Zindler for the closing. <laughs> And um, at that point, the sheriff went to Austin to meet the governor. He, he actually had a petition with him opposing the closing with all the local people. It was like over 3,000 signatures, but the governor refused to meet with him. Hmm. And thus was the end of the chicken ranch in LaGrange, Texas. Okay, which means when we pick this episode back up, or yeah, uh, uh, segment three is going to be us talking about the chicken ranch moving to La- it is. Nevada. It is, but we have a small little uh, postscript here. Oh, yeah. Oh, to this we were going to go into it. Um, for two years after the chicken ranch was closed, people kept coming to the house. Because keep in mind, this is before the internet. This is before, you know, mass communication, really, right. spe- so to speak. So people didn't know it was closed. And they were coming and there was, you know, just being turned away because the house was just there empty. Um. And then it was the house was then purchased by two Houston lawyers. Now I did a massive search trying to find out who these guys were. I couldn't find squat. Wow. So they covered their names up really, really, really well. Yeah. Um, this was in 1977. Hopefully, it's a long lost relative that either you and I didn't know that we had. <laughs> One and, hopes. And, and, um, and they went away, and they left us all. Well, they didn't. They didn't do very well with it. Unfortunately, they purchased the house. Part of it was, uh, and the original furniture was moved to Dallas. They moved part of the house and turned it into a restaurant. Uh, it didn't last very long. Why uh, did they turn it into a museum? It I would have d- been very effective that I, way. I don't know. It, but two years later, the restaurant was closed. Um, 
and then there was uh, there was a bar opened on Lemon Avenue in Dallas called the Chicken Ranch. That bar operated for a short period and then also closed. Uh, and of course, in Legacy, the Chicken Ranch was the basis for the 1978 Broadway musical, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, and then the 1982 movie adaption. And as I said earlier in the previous episode, it did inspire a song by ZZ Top called Lagrange. Yes, and that is the story. Of the best little whorehouse in Texas. Texas. Now Texas. remember, we're talking about Texas. Now let's unpack a couple of things, uh, if if we will. Mm-hmm. Um, Dolly Parton, one of my favorite country musicians of all time. Uh, she, she she did a wonderful job in Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I uh, haven't seen the film in a while, but I love me some Dolly Parton. I felt the casting on that was, was picture perfect. Uh, Lagrange, one of my favorite ZZ Top songs. Uh, if you've never heard it, then you've been living under a rock for God knows how long. Well, there's that. Now, let's focus on the 3,000 souls this had uh, an effect on in, in the town of Lagrange. Because mm-hmm. now you have one of your favorite, or, well, possibly one of your favorite, but one of your major money makers that was bringing um, capital into the community and revenue into the community that's mm-hmm. no longer there. Yeah. Yeah. So... How how affected was the town of Lagrange when they shut down this brothel? It's a good question and one that I can't say that anyone really has much of an answer for. Though I would suggest that based on the amount of money that it brought in and the amount of money that um, the owners, especially in later years, reinvested into the community by shopping with small businesses and so on and so forth – you have to imagine it was a massive hit. Picking up local doctors. Now yeah. that local doctor is seeing 16 extra people. Yeah. Is probably on call and is probably has residency at the chicken ranch. Yeah. So you have to imagine that it was an enormous loss of revenue. Um, and LaGrange isn't, ac- isn't actually a major city when we think about major cities in Texas. So, no. you know. <laughs> well, the, based off the numbers you were, you were telling us, there was a wealthy a, a wealthy business that established a huge chunk of change. Yeah. And then one day it's just it's just gone. And the people have to figure out how to recoup and recover from the loss of income. Because now, you know, who's going to pay for the ambulance? Who's going to pay for the books that, yeah. that need to go into the school? Who's going to repair the road? Who's going to donate chickens during Christmas time? Yeah, because if you if you think about it, it sounds like something that this the, this nice young lady would have done over the holidays. So there's a lot of questions there. Um, but if you have questions and you want it, like my transition, if you have questions and you'd like to get a hold of us anonymously, we have a web or a email address. I don't know where my mind is right now. We have a wonderful email address. You can find us at behindtheredlight702 at gmail.com where you can write us, send us a, a lovely message. If you have a question that you need to be answered or would like to ask a question anonymously, go ahead and, and drop us a line there. Or if you're uh, a wacko, conservative, religious freak who just wants to give us the business, go ahead, leave your comment there, and we will read and tell the audience all about you and that you exist and question why you're listening to our show. But if you would like to be a little bit more communal, if you'd like to be a little bit more 
open and what you do, Jim is going to tell you how you can do that. Well, all you have to do is find us on the Book of Faces. Go to Facebook, look up behind the red light. You'll see our lovely logo with a uh, the beautiful silhouette of a woman in neon. Like us there and interact all you like. And that's, that's all we have to do. When we come back next week, we go from Texas to Nevada. Absolutely. I guess the best way we can put it. Uh-huh. And so we will see you next week. Until then, take care of yourselves and each other. Yes. Thank you. And uh, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>